Hello and welcome to this week's episode of X's and Opinions. I'm your host, Ben Harris, and I am joined by the wonderful and talented duo of Christian Gardner and Maddie Fruchter. First off, before we get into all of our topics, how are y'all two doing? I want to hear everything going on in your lives and take up most of the show with this first. Well, Ben, I've just been waiting at home waiting for you to come back from Ohio because it's making me so sad all alone in the living room, but starting new shows, different things like that. And we have great NBA finals going on. So great time to be alive. Yeah, same here. Just been trying to enjoy the summer, watching sports. We got a lot of new stuff coming up on WSOU, a lot of new podcasts. So I'm super excited about that. And it's awesome to be here. Well, fantastic. Like you said, Christian, great NBA finals. So that's what we're going to kick things off with. Last night, uh, as we record Sunday morning, this is going to release on Monday, the Milwaukee Bucks went ahead in the NBA Finals 3-2, to two, won their third straight game, ripping off a 123-119 to 119 victory on the road in Phoenix for Game 5. The game ends with Drew Holiday ripping the ball away from Devin Booker as the big three of the Bucks collapsed on D-Book as he tried to drive to lane for a clutch bucket. Drew takes the ball from D-Book, runs down the floor, tosses up a game-clinching alley-oop to Giannis where he showed off his freak-of-nature skills, getting an alley-oop that I don't think more than three players in the entire league could have handled. And this one was an absolute roller coaster all the way through. I mean, the Suns had a 16-point lead in the first quarter and had made 11 straight field goals, tying the longest streak in a finals game in the last 20 years. And the Suns coming into this one were 13-0 and in this postseason when leading by double digits. Unfortunately, now 13-1 and as Milwaukee proceeded to score 43 in the second quarter, the second most points total in a finals quarter in the last 35 years, and the final tying them for the third largest comeback win in finals history in the last 25 years. So what did the two of you think about this game and how? what's the impact going to be going forward in this series? For me, it's all about the play of Drew Holiday. I, he had possibly the game of his life in game five. The way that he was able to defend Devin Booker when he got switched on to him, slowing down Chris Paul as well, and dropping 25 points with total rebounds and the game ceiling steal. I mean, a lot has been made from that trade. Like, I think still to this day, the amount of first rounds that came out of this trade that Milwaukee gave up for Drew Holiday is still baffling. But when he has performances like that and on their way to trying to seal a full-on championship, he more than earned that title. I still won't give up three first rounds for Drew Holiday, but you know what? He had his night and he deserves his praise. I totally agree with you, Christian. I think that the game got off to a pretty shaky start for the Bucs in the first quarter, honestly. Obviously, like you said, Ben, the Bucks were um, the Suns were able to take that 16-point lead, but I think a lot of that had to do with the opportunities the Bucs allowed. They had, I think, six turnovers in the first quarter as opposed to five turnovers in the entire game four. So 
uh, obviously the opportunities they gave up led them to have kind of a shaky start. And obviously their shooting wasn't really as electric out of the gate as the Suns were. And it wasn't looking great in my opinion until they started obviously getting their footing. Um, we saw an electric second quarter on the Bucks end, um, much more scoring in transition. Like you said, Drew Holiday racking up 18 in the first half. Um, we all know he had an outstanding game alongside the other big two, Middleton, Giannis, and also Connaughton had an awesome first half as well. Um, and, you know, I think if the Bucks really perform in a similar manner in game six, I think they can very well end the series. As you said, the Bucks' big three had a huge impact on this one. Uh, both or all three, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis Antetokounmpo had 27 or more points. And in fact, they became the fifth trio in NBA history to have 25 or more points on 50% shooting field from the field goal range. And this is, they're the first trio to do this since 1985 when both sides of the finals, the Lakers and Celtics did it with Kareem Worthy and Magic. And then for the Celtics, Mikhail Bird and Dennis Johnson. So the big three for the Bucks making a huge impact. Christian, like you mentioned, this Drew Holiday trade, while expensive has created a massive impact on this Bucks team. I think at this point, we, it's inarguable that uh, Drew has been much more valuable than Eric Bledsoe, aka Mini LeBron, has ever been and will ever be. But what did you think of the Bucks' big three as a whole? How do you think that their big three that they've built this season has been able to impact this team throughout the playoffs and especially in this series? I think it's a lot of players finally getting their respect in this league. I feel like it was either the beginning of this season or last season. I think Bleacher Report came out with a list of the top 100 players and Chris Middleton was number nine and everyone lost their entire minds about it of how could Chris Middleton be a top 10 player in this league. And if you look at the past few days, you would see exactly why Chris Middleton is a top 10 player in this league. So for them to finally put this whole thing together, Drew Holiday being the lockdown defender he was sold to be and being that player to be that stopper I think P.J. Tucker has been on Devin Booker for the majority of this series, and P.J. Tucker had to take on KD as well in this playoff run. But what he has done defensively, Drew Holiday, has been humongous. And Chris Middleton, everyone, he is Batman for Chris, uh, for Kendrick Perkins and for a lot of people. So Chris Middleton, what he's been able to do, he's been getting in his bag. And Giannis Antetokounmpo is the MVP that he has been for the past two years. And... Giannis Antetokounmpo has been phenomenal and easily top five player in this league. And that big three is phenomenal and showing exactly why they are on a quest for this championship. Yeah, Christian, you took the words right out of my mouth. I wanted to say that in the beginning of this series, we didn't really think of them as the big three, really, but they eventually found their footing and were able to contribute as a team rather than having a sort of Giannis situation where he just contributes, you know, 40 points and you didn't really have that same, um, you know, motion from the other players. But I think their ability to work um, in conjunction with one another and actually become that big three that they weren't before rather than operating as individuals. Um, I think it really added a different level to what they can produce offensively and defensively. Um, and I think it contributes to their success greatly to have that powerhouse three players um, to really be the driving force for your wins down the line. 
Absolutely. Drew Holiday has had his struggles throughout this series and throughout the playoffs a little bit, especially shooting wise. I mean, Drew hasn't been as hot every single game as he maybe could have been and uh, not as efficient as he probably could have been for a lot of different matchups and games. Like uh, in this past game, uh, of course, he was fantastic, had uh, a wonderful 27-point performance. But in game four, he only had 13 points on some pretty miserable shooting lines, uh, only shooting uh, 20% from the field goal. And that's not what you want to see out of Drew Holiday. So to see him step up into this role, drop 27, and do it efficiently on 60% shooting uh, just had to be a massive relief to Bucks fans everywhere. And really, uh, that front office is wiping the sweat off their forehead, knowing that, like, okay, this is a guy who can get it done on the big stage. Yes, he's had his struggles shooting from the floor, but dropping 27 points in a game where you're going ahead 3-2, I'd say that's worth four first-round picks. Oh, without a doubt. What – the game that he had was the vindication that everyone needed. I mean, he is the superstar that he was labeled to be and then show that in game five. So if he can continue to do that, there's no doubt that they can have control of this series and get the Larry O'Brien back to Milwaukee. Drew said post-game about that Giannis oop to clinch it, that uh, he just kind of trusted Giannis and threw it as high as he possibly could. I mean, normally you would think the play there is either uh, Drew keeps driving to the bucket and uh, either takes the foul from CP3 himself, tries to get the layup, or with time winding down under 20 seconds, you don't even go for the contact. You take the ball back out, pass it to Chris Middleton, start to run a play with time winding down and see who gets fouled. But to be caught up in the adrenaline like that and be able to make a highlight play, that's kind of exactly the type of play I think of like throughout history, like defining a finals moment. Like the Bucks being able to go ahead three games to two off an exciting alley-oop like that, which isn't the traditional uh, fundamental basketball play like strategy-wise to make. It's just really interesting. And it's kind of the key. I think it's going to go down if they win this series as like the key moment where everyone was like, okay, this is the team that's going to be championship ready uh, come elimination night. Because dribbling out, that's not cool, Ben. That's not cool. Not at all. That, that alley-oop will be replayed for years and years, and every time the finals come about, we're going to see that alley-oop again as long as the Bucks continue and finish out this series. I totally agree. Like, I'm not a huge regular season NBA fan, but once it hits the playoffs, it's just a completely different game. You see so many completely different modes of playing from these players that you just haven't seen in the regular season that makes it all the more exciting. Um, And like you said, we're going to see this alley-oop for years to come. And also the Giannis block in the game uh, previous, I think it was game four, that clutch block that he had. Um, Those moments really define the playoffs and make them something special. And it's those key plays that really make it so fun and exciting to watch. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Maddie. Now, 
on the other side of things, it's not like the Suns had a bad game as a whole. I mean, like I said, 16 point lead in the first quarter had made 11 straight field goal tying records and stuff. And in the final box score, Devin Booker drops 40 points. CP3 and DeAndre Ayton each had a double-double, I think, uh, 21 points for CP3 with 10 assists, and Ayton had 20 and 10. Now, Devin Booker had his fourth 40 or more point game of this postseason, and he became the first player to ever score 40 or more points in consecutive final games and lose both games. So, what does this mean for their big three? If they're able to perform this well, is this an indictment of their bench? Do, do CP3 and Aiton need to be scoring more? Do they just need to be more efficient, the three of them? Like what, what's going on with this Suns team where the big three can have a great game on paper and do so well early on? Like it's almost like the Suns played a perfect first quarter and we're just relying on that the rest of the way down the stretch. Like, what needs to change, if anything, for this big three? Well, it's said all the time, basketball is a game of runs. And it just completely slipped away from them in different times. And I think for me, there were points where I need to see more from DeAndre Aiden. He had point-blank layups that he's missing. And I just don't see that same aggressiveness that I've seen throughout this series. And that was missed in game five. But when DeAndre Aiden is on Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that is their best matchup. That is when they're at their best slowing down this Bucks offense. But for them, this bench, you have so many great wings. Mikel Bridges, Cameron Johnson, they've been having phenomenal series, but haven't gotten as much as needed in the time that they need in those situations. But I think moving into game six, we know how good this team can be. And it just has gotten away from them in just the wrong times. So for me, it's going to be more from DeAndre Hayden, and you're going to have to take down Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think for me, it's more for CP3. We saw in the first couple of games, he was electric, and then all of a sudden, he kind of hit a roadblock where he's not performing to the best of his ability, and you kind of wonder, like, what is the issue that he's dealing with? Can he not just catch up in the moment? Can he not be there physically? So like you said, Christian, the physicality is definitely part of it because Booker is such a aggressive player. And we obviously saw that last night with his, you know, lights out shooting, but we're not seeing that same performance from CP3 from Aiton. Um, so definitely needs to step up the aggressiveness as well and kind of match what Devin Booker has going on as well. Right. CP3 has been struggling with his turnovers quite a bit. I mean, it was a big issue in game four. He had five turnovers. Game three, he had four. Game two, he had six. Luckily, last night, he was able to limit it to just one turnover. But you have to wonder, uh, is Chris Paul playing a little more tentatively now the rest of the series, knowing that early on and in the middle of the series, he was turning the ball over a lot and it's a little confusing the impact he's had in this final series after being so dominant in the Western Conference Finals and the games he was able to play, as well as the earlier rounds of the playoffs. So you just you're looking for a level of consistency from Chris Paul at this stage that you're just not getting so far. And Christian, to your point about DeAndre Ayton guarding Giannis, while yes, Ayton is incredibly effective guarding Giannis, you can't be having him on Giannis all the time because it's what got 
Aiton into foul trouble, especially earlier on in the series when the refs are just going to call every contact on a big guy like Giannis, who's just able to charge the lane like no one else his size. It puts Phoenix in a really bad position defensively, especially with uh, their backup big Dario Saric out for the rest of the playoffs, because when Aiton's in foul trouble, they have to bring in Frank Kaminsky, which is not a good matchup for them matchup wise. And it's not good for them talent wise on the floor. They just aren't at their full ability unless Aiton's on the floor and not in foul trouble. So it's really interesting to kind of see what your strategy is to guard Giannis or at least try and slow him down without getting Aiton in the foul trouble. It's almost like they need other guys to be able to collapse into the paint and get those fouls instead of DeAndre. That, that is a great point that you bring up because Giannis, we know he's going to get to the line every single night, even though you're going to keep counting no matter what. But he's going to get to his shot. He's going to get to the line. And there are going to be some fouls to be taken. That's when you're looking at Mikel Bridges. What can he do on defense? I mean, our producer, Jory, brought a light to Jared Roden. He was taking notice of his defensive play. So I think Mikel Bridges, that is also a huge matchup. What he can do trying to slow down Chris Middleton and also Giannis Antetokounmpo in those stretches. Because even though he is a skinnier guy, he is very strong and can meet people in the post. So I think throughout throughout the throughout the game, it's going to be a mix for me, Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Aiden to try to slow down Giannis. But like you said, Giannis is going to draw a lot of fouls so it can get them in trouble. I also have liked the Tory Craig on Giannis matchup just because Tory Craig has such length as like a three, four kind of guy and is able to uh, limit Giannis's mobility with that length. So I think it's uh, going into game six and for the Suns, hopefully game seven, you have to think that their focus is going to be like, okay, how can we limit Giannis and his drives to the paint? Because they don't care. They don't actually care about fouling Giannis. It's about who's fouling Giannis. You can't let DeAndre Ayton get into foul trouble like that. Because it's for the best. You you would say when you foul Giannis, he'll make at least one. If if they're lucky, he'll miss both of them. But the likelihood of him going scoring two points when he goes to the line is not very high. But like you said, if DeAndre Ayton can't play in the stretches of the fourth quarter, you're going to lose the game. Now, of course, Milwaukee has gone up 3-2 in this series. Historically, the winner of game five wins the finals 72% of the time. So first off, let's start with Phoenix. They're going on the road to Milwaukee to hopefully continue their season. They have to fight as hard as they've ever fought. What do the Phoenix Suns need to do to force a game seven? And if they are able to force game seven, what do they do need to do to win this series? But of course, focus game six, what needs to happen in Milwaukee? Um, I know this obviously sounds very cliche, um, but we see what happens when we have a superstar player on the court rather than a superstar team. Um, we saw it in game two where Giannis drops 42 and we see 
like no kind of the same performance from the others. And now we saw it again with Booker and the Suns last night. So when your players like Crowder and, and Paul, you have to step up in ways that Middleton and Holiday are because it's really now or never. Um, and I honestly think they will rise to the moment, um, even though they're on the road, because like you said, they're capable of going 13-0, and 0, now 13-1 and 1, when they have big leads. We're able to get these big leads. So I think it all comes down to putting in the collective effort at maintaining these leads and not relying on your superstar player to control that lead. I'm completely with you. It's the depth of the Phoenix Suns. I think the way that they jumped out to that lead in game five was the surrounding cast. I mean, Jay Crowder had a phenomenal first quarter, but you didn't hear as much from him as the game moved on. You're going to need from Cam Johnson. You're going to need from Mikael Bridges and Torrey Craig, like you were saying earlier, Ben. And I think for me, it was Devin Booker, even though he was absolutely cooking in game five, there are going to be some times where he needs to move the rock around and that he, he can go get a shot at any time. But there were many situations where he settled for a tough shot when you have Mikael Bridges wide open in the corner for a three. And of course, they would love to have those points back. And if they can benefit from those situations, they can definitely force a game seven. Now, on the other side of things, Milwaukee is one win away from winning their first championship since 1971, over 50 years. So very exciting opportunities here. Milwaukee could win this at home in front of their fans. What do they need to do to finish this series off and finish this series as the NBA champions? Well, I think definitely confidence out the gate is absolutely important as we saw what a shaky start can get you down 16 at the end of the first. And it also leads to a lot of mistakes. Um, but I think the confidence will absolutely be there, especially after the finish by Giannis and Holiday last night. Um, and also like you always hear, it always comes down to free throws. Um, when you have, you know, a game one or game three situation where one team wins by like 15 or 20 points, can you say it could have gone down to free throws? Probably not. Not as much as a close game like we saw these past two games. Um, Giannis went 0 for 3 in his first three uh, free throws in the first quarter. Um, he was obviously able to step up, but overall, as a team, they shot 52% from the line. So I think that free throws definitely matter. And, you know, so often do we say, like, well, if you just made those three, like, they would have been in a different place. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I couldn't imagine trying to make a free throw in the finals with a thousand fans screaming at me counting down from or up to 10 like not a chance I could do that um definitely a nerve-wracking situation but I think that home court advantage will hopefully give him some clear head space when he's up at the line to get those extra points that really could make a difference in the game and Giannis, yeah. and Giannis talked post game game four about how his mentality has kind of uh made an impact through not only his whole career, but especially in this finals series and this playoff run as just kind of keeping his ego in check and taking things uh, into perspective and living in the moment during these games has really helped him succeed through these playoffs. So I, I think you're absolutely right, Maddie, that being able to stay focused on the task at hand is going to be absolutely key for Milwaukee. And like you're saying, Ben, Giannis, has already put game five out of his mind. Even though he's had this phenomenal series, he doesn't, ref he doesn't look back at it and seeing, wow, look what I did. 
he's not even looking at what am I going to do? He's looking at what am I doing right now? And I think that mentality is that championship mentality. And if he can continue to do that and dominate like these fans have been chanting, they will win Bucks and six. And I think this team, what they've been able to do going down 2-0, come straight back and being the team that they have always labeled themselves to be, they have phenomenal superstars on this team. And I think Chris Middleton, if he can finish out the series that he's had, Giannis, if he can continue to be the one of the most dominant finals performances of all time, there's no doubt in my mind that Larry O'Brien goes back to Milwaukee. Now, if the Bucks do finish things off in six or even seven, and if Phoenix wins, say, say that happens in seven games, for each side, who is your current favorite for finals MVP? It, it is such a toss-up right now. <laughs> I legitimately don't know. But for the Bucs, I'm, I'm sticking with Giannis. I think he's the reason that got them back into this. But Chris Middleton has been the finisher for these last few games. So I wouldn't be mad if he got it. But if I'm a betting man, I'm giving it to Giannis. Uh, but if the Suns are able to pull this off, Devin Booker, the way that he has been cooking, if he can continue to score for 40 points every night, how could he not walk away with the award? I'm on the same page as you, Christian. Definitely Devin Booker. I don't think there's really a question about it. Um, he's just outstanding every single night. And then for the Bucs, I, I, like you said, if you're a betting man, you would obviously go with Giannis. But I like Drew Holiday as well. I think that he definitely comes in clutch and he's a standout uh, of this series that not necessarily we didn't see coming, but that we're happily, um, that we're happy to have happened. Um, I don't think it could have been, you know, a better performance from him and the other two last night. So I'm in between Giannis and um, Drew Holiday for the Bucs. Now, we will see if the Bucks can close things out in six games. Game six, Milwaukee up three to two, will take place Tuesday night at 9 p.m. in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the FISEV Forum. So we will see who our champion is either that night or if we're going to get a fantastic game seven going to Phoenix. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hoping that Phoenix is able to force game seven because who doesn't love a game seven, but uh, I genuinely don't know. And I, I can't even make a prediction on what's going to happen in this series, but moving on to some more NBA news, Damian Lillard, the one and only Dame Dalla might be out in Portland rumors are swirling around Dame's future as a trailblazer as reports came out that he would be requesting a trade out of Portland and that his top suitors were the New York Knicks, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Miami Heat, and the Golden State Warriors. However, Dame during a Team USA press conference denied the rumors saying that alleged plans to request a trade are not true and that he's always wanted to retire and win a championship in a Blazers uniform. However, Dame also added comments suggesting that the trailblazers need to make significant significant strides and improvements to reach contender status. So what are our thoughts on Dame's future in Portland? Do you think he's telling the truth? Do you think uh, he doesn't want out? Do you think he truly wants to stay and try and keep running this rebuild back in Portland? Or uh, do you think that Dame time is on the move? I think his faith has definitely been 
been challenged <laughs> throughout these these long years because he really came on the scene what was that 2014 when they beat the Houston Rockets on that shot and they haven't even gotten past that moment and that was seven years ago I mean I would disagree with that the Trailblazers went to the conference finals like two years ago yeah but I it, it was in that moment we were just like, yes, they came back and beat a Clippers team and then saw the Lakers. And right. this, they haven't done anything to my eyes to say that this might figure things out. But for Dame, we've always known how loyal this guy is. He, there is no reason that in all this time, his feelings haven't changed for Portland. Like, of course, as a fan, we would love to say, oh, get out of there. We want you to go to some team and have him finally get that clutch moment in playing in the finals. Of course, we want that to happen. But I think for him, he wants to be a champion, and Portland hasn't shown that they have the tools just yet. Yes, they have a very solid team. Yes, they were going to make – they're going to make the playoffs next year, even with this team right now. But – if they truly want to be a champion, he's showing, please, we need something else. We need more assets. We need to build things up a little bit more. But I, I don't believe that he'll actually request for the trade, but it could, of course, just be a smokescreen in the end. I think that when you have, like, like you said, so much loyalty in you to a team, you only have so much until you look at teams like the Nets and you just see like superstars joining the roster and just becoming like a powerhouse team when they're healthy, of course. Um, but when you're kind of loyal to a team and you have nothing to show for it, you have to ask yourself if the team's going to make any attempt at helping themselves, you know, given whatever they whatever they need to overcome, whether it's, you know, cap space or, you know, whether they have, you know, trades earlier on. Um, it's going to be really hard for them to make that change unless they give him some sort of help. It's not like how Steph is so loyal to the Warriors, but he has so much to show for it, you know? Um, Absolutely. So if, you know, he is not going to get that help that he needs to stay there, he should definitely think about, you know, going somewhere else where he could thrive. Right. You see Portland just finishing middle of the pack. They were the sixth seed coming in to this year's playoffs did nothing in the first round except kind of rolled over and I mean Dame has put his heart and soul into this Trailblazers team there's nothing uh that he could do outside of himself that would push them any further than he's been able to in the past I mean being able to push that team I believe it was against the Warriors to the Western Conference Finals uh and just nothing really come out of it uh, was rather disappointing and they're not showing any signs of improvement. I mean, the, the most noteworthy like roster moves they've made in recent memory have been making a questionable trade to move away from Gary Trent Jr. And then also just the lack of moving CJ McCollum after rumors have swirled forever. So things are looking shaky for the future of Dame in Portland. I don't 
I, I genuinely don't know if Dame will be on the move, but who, if he does end up moving, I mean, those apparently false reports were that the top suitors were the Knicks, Lakers, Heat, and Warriors. What team would you see Dame fitting in well on both for himself and also practically? Like, who, who's a good trade partner that they could get uh, good value out of if Dame's going to want to move? And Because there's no way, like, he moves to – like the Pacers or someone like he he's going to go if he's going to be moved he's going to be moved to a contender kind of CP3 style where they're going to have the respect to give him some uh sort of power within like where he's going to be going like he he's not going to just get shipped off into irrelevancy I think everyone in New York wants to hear that he's going into a Knicks jersey. Because no, honestly, no that, would, that would be the coolest thing. That would, that would just be so cool, Dame in Madison Square Garden every night. But I'm, I'm going to give you a genuine a genuine response as well. The but, Washington Wizards. Yes, exactly. No. Um, but I'm going to go with the New Orleans Pelicans. Just the amount really? of assets that they have put together, the amount of first-round picks that they could send to Portland when you have trades that you've done with the Lakers and the Bucks, and of course your own picks. And even with that, Lonzo Ball's a free agent, a little sign and trade, a couple firsts, or maybe even there's some other stars. Everyone wants Eric Bledsoe. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. But pairing Dame with Zion Williamson with Brandon Ingram as well, that is a dangerous, dangerous team. And when you can get six or seven first round picks to restart your franchise that's a that's pretty solid and that would remind me kind of of this cp3 move where like it's a young team with a lot of young superstar talent that just is kind of missing their veteran superstar leader i think dame could absolutely serve the same sort of role and give the same sort of impact that cp3 has to the sun's team like why I can't think of any reason why a Dame, Zion, Brandon Ingram trio wouldn't have uh, similar success in the Western Conference to what the Suns have been able to do this season. Now that you had put that into my mind, I really like that. Because I'm like thinking about it, and I was like, hmm, sounds pretty nice. I had said the Heat originally because it was rumored. Obviously, I think a Robinson, Butler, um, Lillard, you know, powerhouse team could be very effective. Obviously, as Miami is coming off of their now year ago um, NBA Finals appearance and now getting booted out in the first round, I think they are looking for a bit of rebuilding. And I think a Tyler Hero package deal could be something that other teams could look forward to, might be enticing. So I think that could also be somewhere where he might go as well. Absolutely. Miami would be a great destination, in my opinion. I mean, it's already came out that uh, Miami is open to moving Tyler Hero. I mean, not the best time for his value. I mean, there was so many rumors swirling around that he was going to get moved for James Harden and that Miami was unwilling to budge on uh, moving him elsewhere. And of course, that's kind of inevitably backfired a little bit. But I, I agree with you. Pairing Dame with like Bam and Jimmy Butler could really work out well for Miami and I think it could they have the assets to send back to Portland that could work out well too so I I personally think Dame is probably staying 
for this upcoming season in Portland. I, I don't think anything's going to come out of it. I would love to see Dame in a Knicks uniform as long as the Knicks are able to hold on to RJ Barrett. And there's so many Knicks trade rumors that are going around every, not only this off season, but every off season, but especially this off season with them having the success they did uh, previously. It's, uh, I, I just hope the Knicks are able to hold on to RJ Barrett through any deal they may make. Now, there's another big name point guard who may potentially be on the move. To my personal demise, they are going to dismantle the Sexland backcourt in Cleveland. No more Colin Sexton for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, where should Colin Sexton get traded to? They've already said, like, Timing-wise, this just isn't going to work out. We're trying to build something, and your contract's going to be up next year. We're going to get the value out of you that we can. So where does Colin Sexton get moved, and does the market for Dame have an effect on this? I don't know if Portland would want to go for Colin Sexton, but Colin Sexton is a phenomenal player. Um, For me, I'm going to go with another person that's circled in trade rumors. I'm going to go with Ben Simmons and see – if Colin Sexton going to Philadelphia, having that being as your true point guard, I think he he would flourish in that atmosphere. I think Philly fans would love Colin Sexton, the ferocity that he plays with. I think he would be a beloved, beloved fan down there in Philly. He's literally the opposite of Ben Simmons. He is the least soft player I've ever seen. <laughs> exactly. Um, I had... I did another um, Heat uh, pick as well because I think it's kind of I think it's kind of hard um, to kind of match him since he is such a strong offensive talent. It's definitely kind of tough because where would they trade him to get kind of a mutually beneficial outcome? I went with Miami again because I think that, like I said, they're up for trading Tyler Hero. Um, I think that he can build some offensive dominance alongside the other two on that team. I think it might be a good fit for him, but I also like the Ben Simmons trade that you had said, Christian, as well. I was dancing around that, but I think I, I went with this instead. Maddie said, no more Goran Dragic minutes. But let's move on. No. Washed. That man is washed. (laughs) Singular time all-star. Washed. Get him out of here. Anyways, let's move on to baseball. We just had a fantastic all-star break. In my opinion, the most exciting thing that happened was the home run derby. Pete Alonso, of course, the Mets first baseman, winning his second straight home run derby title. Smashed 35 bombs in the first round. Just an exciting derby all night long. We saw fantastic storylines come out of it uh, with a Juan Soto Shohei Otani swing off. And what were the storylines that evening? And what do we think of the derby as a whole? I mean, everything was about Shohei Otani. The entire baseball world moves towards Shohei Otani. And that all star weekend, that all star break, was all about him pitching on the mound and having a pitcher in the home run derby it was the greatest thing to watch and his I have to say the guy doing his pitches didn't do him any favors but he still had a phenomenal performance and Juan Soto I mean being from DC I love seeing Juan Soto just mashing dingers and going toe for toe with everyone's favorite player right now and then of course Pete Alonso what what the heck like what what was he 
what was he doing? He hates baseballs, apparently. He just hates baseballs. He was hitting them as hard as he could and the farthest that you can. And I think having it in Colorado was the greatest idea. I don't know who came up with that, but I love seeing balls get hit 500 feet in the air and just kept on, kept on going throughout the night. Oh, phenomenal derby. Totally agree. Love your enthusiasm. I remember watching like beforehand, like the practice swings and someone hit it up to like the third deck. I was like, what? Like, it was so crazy. Such a great venue. Um, like you said, Shohei Otani had been the biggest storyline of the evening alongside Pete Alonso, obviously for going back to back. But I think that specifically with Otani, the, the hype reminded me of like the early Aaron Judge hype in the Derby when he was in it uh, years back. They're both powerhouses, but I think that he is just an amazing storyline, not only for his talent, but also just for his love of the game, his spirit. He really is just a great player, great guy all around. And it just makes you appreciate the game even more. So I really enjoyed watching him in both the Derby. And then the next night, like he got out there like, all right, well, he's uh, gotta go rest cause he's pitching and then hitting in the game tomorrow, like some ridiculous. So. It was uh, really awesome to see him. Yeah, I can't believe that Shohei's even playing now that regular season games have resumed because there is no reason that this man was going out there smashing homers in the derby, playing in the all-star game on both sides, and then was expected to get out there and play for the Angels again immediately. The man gets no days off. I, I was, I even tweeted during the event, I was like, this man shouldn't even play till August. Just give him a little rest. I mean, Mike Trout's out. What's it going to hurt? But I think this derby was maybe my favorite in recent memory. I mean, that first round was electric. I mean, multiple of the matchups uh, coming within one home run, Trey Mancini and Matt Jones or Matt Olson, excuse me, uh, 24 and 23 home runs, Trevor Story and Joey Gallo, 20 and 19. Uh, Pete Alonso, of course, striking 35. And then uh, Salvi Perez, no one even cared because they were interviewing Pete Alonso during his uh, swings hit 28 himself shout out to Sally Perez and then of course the Juan Soto Shohei Otani swing off was electric as well so I think you're absolutely right Christian having this event in Colorado I almost feel like they should just no matter where the all-star game and the festivities are being held every year just have the derby be in Colorado I don't care like what the inconveniences may be it, just being able to have 500 foot home runs on the regular during the Derby is just great for baseball. And I thought this Derby was fantastic. If Trey Mancini had won instead of Pete, it was a fantastic storyline. of course, uh, with Trey Mancini's cancer recovery, as well as just him being a great power hitter. And I thought the whole night was electric and it makes me feel like that this is the best exhibitional competition in sports like can any other sports do anything competition wise that even compares to this i'm a firm believer in the dunk contest i know that there are some years that it just doesn't go together but the 2016 dunk contest i will talk about it for the rest of my life it was the greatest the greatest thing i've ever seen i mean come on zach levine was putting on an absolute show and Aaron Gordon was putting on an absolute show. Nothing has been able to compare against that, but because of that performance for me, it's still a dunk contest. 
Um, I wanted to mention the dunk contest too, because it's so ridiculous what they can do, but it's also the people sitting courtside just reacting to it as well. That makes it just 10 times funnier. Um, I love that. I also like the three point contest as well. I think that's probably maybe the most relatable to the home run or the, yeah, the home run derby. Um, Justin kind of like it's aim because Steph Curry just like sinks like insane amount of shots like it's kind of like the same I guess not on the same level but kind of the same in terms of like their aim of the derby versus the three-point contest um, yeah it's more it's more measurable yeah because like with the derby like you know how many home runs are hit you know how far the balls are being hit with the three-point contest you know how many shots are made like it's not like the dunk contest where there's variables of D Wade yes. throwing the thing and, and other stuff like that but no I, I agree with you no, that was pretty much it. Um, like I said, it's measurable, but in the dunk contest, it's also like they're not making those dunks in the game. Like home runs happen in the game. Three-pointers happen in the game. Um, so that's why I think the dunk contest definitely more entertaining um, as a competitive exhibition, but three-point contest, I think, is more on the same level as the home run derby. Well, no matter the contest, this derby was fantastic. Fantastic. Just electric bombs being hit left and right. Now, somewhere where bombs were not being hit left and right. Well, a couple of them was the celebrity game. Did y'all watch the all-star celebrity game? I thought it was hilarious. He saw Quavo just being the greatest athlete of all time. Once again, uh, multi-sport, multifaceted man, just striking out DK Metcalf and also hitting doubles on his own. Like I, I love watching celebrity games. They're just stupid. We watched Anthony Mackie make like five errors for no reason. I feel like for this one, they just like recruited all the people who I thought should be more athletic. And then they just weren't like, why is Jojo Siwa hitting doubles? I was like, literally just going to mention that right after DK Metcalf strikeout, she just slams a double. She's like hopping up and down on the base and he's like, and they're like it's just too funny and like you said Quavo's just everywhere he's in the basketball game he's in the baseball game like he's just all over the place I love it I just love seeing the no-name people wearing hats from my hometown and I have no clue who they are somehow the most random celebrities are in there and for whatever reason they'll hit like triples and I'm like who are you but hey it's a celebrity game DK Metcalf We'll do something stupid and it all works out in the end. Christian, when are you going to get TikTok famous enough to get into a C-list all-star game? That, that is my goal. I want to be in some type of celebrity game. It, it's been my goal since I was a wee lad of hopefully hitting a dinger in a celebrity all-star game. But we'll see if I ever get there. I mean, if Captain America can do it, then I guess I can too. Would y'all rather be in a celebrity all-star game or have your own Wikipedia page? Well, actually, if me in high school, on my like my school's Wikipedia page, CD Hilton High School, when I graduated, I changed notable alumni to me. <laughs> I, I put myself as Christian Gardner and quote, you know, I, I wasn't a very like proud person I just descripted myself as an icon and that was it yeah I agree an icon living stop it stop it I would 
I don't know, because a Wikipedia page, people can like Christian did just go on and do whatever they need to do on my page. But the the celebrity game, I don't really want to make a fool out of myself in front of (laughs) everyone on national TV. So it's really give or take. But I might just go with, you know what, I'm going to go with the celebrity game because I think I can hit zingers. Um, I think I can get it done. So Plus, if you're um, notice, if you're notable enough to get into the celebrity game, you're probably notable enough to have your own Wikipedia. I feel exactly. like they probably go hand in hand. Great I'm, logic. Me, I'm trying to get on famous birthdays because they got everybody <laughs> on that. <laughs> I, I I want somebody to make me like Ben Harris, writer, producer, sports personality, icon living, and then that's how I get. And they get like my birthday wrong by like two years. Like, that'd be awesome. But uh, then in the All-Star game itself, the American League won 5-2. to two. Vladdy Jr. winning MVP of that game there. Of course, he had uh, a hit, a run, two RBI. So what do we think of the All-Star game itself? And do we miss the winner gets World Series home advantage incentive? And Because, like, I, I think it was a really good plan. A lot of people didn't like it. And, of course, it's not in the game anymore. But uh, do we miss that incentive? Yeah, it, it brings stakes to a kind of meaningless game. And that, that's what a lot of these other leagues miss. Because the NFL, the Pro Bowl, is an absolute joke. Nobody cares. Um, for the All-Star game, I, that one that one's a little bit bigger in the NBA, but I think for the MLB, when they had the stakes like that, it grows it. But I think of all the all-star games, I think MLB has the most following being in the middle of the summer like that. And I think they still put on a great show every year. So it's not necessarily needed, but it isn't preferred for myself. Yeah, definitely. I think it adds excuse me, a a level of excitement to the All-Star game. You know, so many people love watching, obviously, their favorite and best players um, because they're not only competing for the win of the league, but also the home field advantage on top of that, which I think kind of brings the performance back into the regular season and doesn't make it sort of like a separate entity. Like like you said, it kind of means something more. Um, But I do think the new rules are more fair. I think they're a little more logical. Um, just because like if they have a tie, uh, they got to go use a different game to figure out who gets home field advantage. So I think now, even though it takes a little bit of the excitement out, I think it's probably just a safer and more logical way of, of deciding it. Yeah, I agree with you. And it makes sense why they took it away. I just miss that level of competition between like the game's great players. Like until like the mid 80s, they didn't even have like the home field advantage incentive but until the mid 80s the game was actually really competitive just because players from both leagues would go out and try really hard just for bragging rights alone so I I kind of miss this level of like high stakes competition between the game's great players and I wish we were in an era that like kind of encouraged that level of competition more but as all the nba old heads and talking heads like to say like oh guys don't hate each other like they used to but i don't know i kind of wish there was more competition and incentive into the all-star game but 
I like seeing all these great players on the field at the same time. And I think it grows the game no matter uh, if everybody's going their hardest or not. So now that we're entering the second half of this baseball season, the current MVP favorites for each league are Shohei Otani for the American League and Mets ace Jacob deGrom for the National League. Now, do we see anyone passing either of these two in this race? I mean, of course, injury, potential injury, like not a included like who knows you can't predict that kind of stuff so uh do you think anyone would be able to kind of launch their name into conversation of course there are other names swirling around like in the nl nick castellanos has been fantastic for the reds in the al there's all sorts of talent there so uh who do you think are some other competitors for the mvp awards in their respective leagues for me to start out in the al i'm going with my guy vladdy i i think what he's been able to do hitting wise, he is the best in the league. I mean, of course he can match so many dingers, but he has the best batting average along with that most RBIs. So I think he has been huge for the Blue Jays, especially if they can go on a run and make a push for the division, then I think he, he's well-deserving of that type of recognition and going back-to-back all-star MVP and whole season MVP. And in the NL, I'm going to go with another superstar, Fernando Tatis of the Padres. I mean, he is phenomenal, an electric player, leads the, M- leads the NL in stolen bases as well. So for those two superstars being at 22, I think it would be phenomenal for the game to have young, young MVPs like that. And their, their star is even growing even more. So I think to give them the MVP would be phenomenal. But I mean, Shoei and DeGrom, you, you can't go wrong in my case. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be tough to pass them. But if they were to be passed, I too said Vladdy. Um, clearly, it runs in the family. He's awesome. He's only 22. Um, and like you said, Christian, his stat line is insane. He's ranked second in runs, hits, total bases, homers, and first in RBIs. Um, he's truly a tank. And I think the all-star game really did a lot for him in the eyes of the people who need to notice him more. Um, And then the National League, I wanted to highlight, like you said, Ben um, Castellanos. He is no doubt having one of the best years of his career right now. Um, I think he's batting like 330. He's on the Reds, 111 hits, 59 RBIs. He's performing like an all-star. He's clearly able to produce offensively. And I think if Cincinnati makes the playoffs, which right now, I mean, anything can change midway through the um, season, um, I think his odds at MVP at the moment could be a much different story if they continue the way they're headed. Maddie, I completely agree with you. I think my kind of runners up for MVP in each league right now are also Vladdy and Nick Castellanos. I mean, like you said, the Reds are in second in the NL Central right now. So if they are able to push into a wild card position or even even though they lost to the Brewers last night, uh, which was unfortunate, I was there. you, you could definitely see Nick Cassianos off his stats and his impact on that Reds team uh, kind of push his way into that MVP conversation for the NL. Now, what teams need to make a splash at this j- upcoming July 30th trade deadline to make their push or get further into the playoffs? Uh, Christian, I will start with you. Uh, for me, I'm going to keep rolling with those Blue Jays. I think they can make a push in that division. I'm sorry about your Yankees, Ben. I really am. 
But I, I no, think I, I'm sorry for my Yankees. They stink. <laughs> they, 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 they beat the Red Sox for the first time this season yesterday, and it's mid-July. I, I, I hand up. I'm done with this Yankees team. I'm done. I'm with you. I'm with it, you on that. It's fair. It, it, they they are a terrible, terrible team. But the Blue Jays can definitely make a playoff run, especially if they can have an MVP in Vlad Guerrero. So definitely for them. And I think for uh, the Padres as well, uh, their bats are absolutely flying right now. They have been they've been doing so well against the Nationals, 24 runs and of course last night with uh all what was going on down there in dc they were very very welcoming to the fans bringing them into the dugout as all the things outside the stadium was going on but uh for the padres i think they have all these stars manny machado i mean i grew up watching manny machado playing for the baltimore orioles and when he went off into what i presumed as nothingness in san diego has now grown into one of the best teams in the nl and I think if they can add some more assets as well, they can be a phenomenal team. Um, I wanted to bring up the Mets. Um, I know they are in some injury trouble already. They're looking to step up, step up their rotation. I know there has been some talks about a Chris Bryant trade um, in order to kind of up their defensive ability, which I think would be a huge move by the Mets personally if that had happened. Um, he's obviously you know really versatile. He's you know, able to solidify the third base spot that they need. Um, and I think he also adds a lot more value to the team because he's able to perform in a lot of different positions. But I think they obviously need him for the third base spot. So I think if they get him, that would be an awesome addition to the team and we'll really be able to get them to up their defensive um, ability. Yes, absolutely. Chris Bryant, uh, Trevor Story, and a few other Uh, names are out there for this trade deadline kind of swirling around but moving on to some NFL topics to get a little serious for a minute there was a uh, unfortunate incident with five-time pro bowler and Super Bowl champion cornerback Richard Sherman he was arrested this past week and charged with DUI reckless endangerment resisting arrest as well as criminal trespassing and malicious mischief under domestic violence designation after doorbell camera video of this incident was made public, you saw Sherman angrily and drunkenly trying to break into the door of his wife's parents' home. He was screaming and yelling and was, because of what he had to say, was deemed suicidal. And he's since pled guilty to all, or not guilty, excuse me, to all five of his charges, but it was a uh, different look for one of the more uh, stand-up players and NFL recent memory that we've known in Richard Sherman. So how do you think this is going to affect Sherman's free agency and his NFL future? And what do we even make of this incident in his character? I just really hope that Richard Sherman gets the help that he needs in being welcomed within his family. Like there, there, this is clearly, he's going through a very tough time right now and he needs people around him to still remind him of who he is. Cause this is a very intelligent person. This is a person that's cared for his community throughout his career, throughout his entire life, honestly. And Richard Sherman to see him in this light is it's so surprising because of course we know the persona of him on the field as one of the most lockdown corners of all time. And of course, kind of being that kind of villain person on the field 
Uh, but Richard Sherman isn't isn't that guy. And to see him going through such troublesome times like this and even not still not being on a team, it just all doesn't make sense right now. So for, I just hope that Richard Sherman, uh, wherever he is, is doing well and has, is feeling the love around him that he does have in his life. Absolutely. I think it opens up a larger conversation about how all professional athletes seem to have it all. They have the money, they have the fame, notoriety, but they still face the challenges that so many people can relate to and so many people do face who aren't, who don't have that much fame, you know, finances, you're still susceptible to um, mental illness, you're still susceptible to problems that people don't realize. So it's super important to have these resources readily available for professional athletes that's in every league, men and women. Um, I think it's super important to have these resources available. And I think there also is a stigma in men's uh, professional sports to kind of hide things that are perceived as weak. Um, so I think it is super important to be able to talk to someone to be able to get those resources necessary. And I do hope it doesn't reflect poorly upon his opportunities moving forward in the season, um, because this is clearly um, a crisis at hand and he should not be penalized for um, something that he is going through that he's actively trying to receive help for. So I do hope it does not reflect poorly upon him um, moving forward into the season. And I do truly hope he does get the help because like you said, Christian, he has done so much for his community. He's proved himself to be an outstanding person. And just because you have an issue that you're going through right now, it should not define you and your career moving forward, especially if you're actively working to get the help you need. Absolutely. I think what's important is that he gets the help he needs. I hope that uh, he is able to sort through the legalities of the situation with both uh, law enforcement as well as his family. Sherman had released a statement after the incident saying, I am deeply remorseful for my actions on Tuesday night. I behaved in a manner that I am not proud of. I've been dealing with some personal challenges over the last several months, but that is not an excuse for how I acted. The importance of mental and emotional health is extremely real and I vow to get the help I need. I appreciate all of the people who have reached out in support of me and my family, including our community here in Seattle. I am grateful to have such an amazing wife, family, and support system to lean on during this time. So hopefully the All-Pro Corner and Super Bowl champion is able to uh, rehabilitate from this incident, uh, take care of his legalities, and figure things out uh, in the appropriate manner with his family, and, and hopefully be able to continue his NFL career. Sherman last played for the San Francisco 49ers last season and is currently a free agent. But moving on to our last segment of this show, what is going on with USA basketball? Let's talk Olympics for a little bit. JaVale McGee of the Denver Nuggets and Spurs forward Ken Keldon Johnson have taken two of the last remaining spots on the Team USA 12-man roster, which were opened up after Kevin Love was forced to withdraw due to injury rehabilitation and also being absolutely terrible so far. And also Bradley Beal having to drop out because he tested positive for COVID-19, which timing is very unfortunate for your main man, Bradley Beal there, Christian. So now with this team already struggling, losing two of their exhibition games to teams that they were heavily favored against, 
is there any way this team wins gold? I personally think they suck and there's no way, but this, I think the squad stinks, but what are y'all's thoughts on team USA for basketball? I, I don't believe in this team at all. They're terrible. Keldon Johnson apparently is a phenomenal international player. I I think his, his game just goes up whenever he leaves the United States, apparently. Because I can name like 50 better players than Keldon Johnson. How is it that Trey Young sitting at home, Zion Williamson sitting at home, and we're going to watch Keldon Johnson to replace Bradley Beal. Bradley, uh, I I was absolutely devastated this week. Even though I already knew the team was going to be bad, I at least had the warmth and the feeling of seeing my favorite player playing internationally and saying, ah, wow, everyone's going to get to notice how good Bradley Beal is. And now it is just so unfortunate for him because he very much wanted to play for this team. Uh, But for this team overall, I think they were surprised about the physicality and the lack of calls that they are going to get because that's how the NBA kind of works for regular season, at least. It's all about how well can you get to the line? Can I draw this foul and get points that way? And when players were not getting the fouls that they thought they would, they got surprised and things were very close and they ended up losing these games. And Australia, they're going to be a great gold medal winner. And I can't wait for 20, what is it going to be? 2024, where we run it back in Paris. See what happens. I think it's kind of a mix of us not realizing that the game of basketball is getting more popular and everyone else in the world is kind of just getting better at the game. And it's also that we might be stinking it up a little bit. Um, I think it's a mix of the two. Um, I think it's definitely difficult to go into the Olympics with the mentality that you're going to try for gold when the whole country is just like ragging on your team. That's definitely (laughs) not going to help. Um, but I think that originally like the overconfidence, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't even say overconfidence and arrogance because the reason we were number one or have been number one is because of our skill. That's, it's not just because of a, you know, random reason that we're bragging we're number one. It's because we're, we're able to perform at that level. Um, and so maybe that arrogance of having that for so long, having those those gold medals for so long, maybe got to us and we're like, oh, well now everyone's kind of progressing. So I think I think just going in there with some confidence, even though it seems like the world's against you or your country's against you, I think the confidence is going to be what makes the difference and hopefully it does make the difference. Right, and of course, this team isn't playing at its full capacity as, of course, Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton are still in the finals, not really worried about Team USA right this second, but I think that even goes further to the fact that this team doesn't have the chemistry that I think is needed to play successfully at an international level. I mean, I I just don't see a way where... Draymond Green, Keldon Johnson, and JaVale McGee are getting significant minutes, and this team wins gold over teams that play FIBA-style basketball and move the ball rather than, like, trying to play uh, one-on-one isolation basketball and also, like, trying to draw fouls and do crafty NBA moves that in international-style basketball are normally called travels or fouls or yada 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 like I 
I just don't think that this team has the makeup or chemistry that other years teams have had. Uh, one, just because these players haven't played together often enough. And two, those teams of past that we've seen dominate, dominated because they were able to morph their games into an international style and they had the chemistry between guys like Braun, Wade, Kobe, uh, and other guys on those teams that I just think made such an impact and were able to have so much more success that I, I just don't see them having that with this team. I think it, if anyone can save this team, they need to call on Captain America. Carmelo Anthony needs to receive this call and get his 800th gold medal and bring it home for the red, white, and blue. I call Mello, call Mello. I, 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 I have no idea how Kelton Johnson's playing for this team. Before how is Kelton? Anthony. How is JaVale McGee on this team? Like, it, I, I legitimately don't understand anyone. Anyone. Any, no, nobody, nobody wanted to play. You're telling me nobody wanted to play. Everyone's been saying, even since Kevin Love was selected, everyone said, why isn't Christian Wood on this team? Everyone said that. Everyone's been waiting. Where's Christian Wood? You had a second chance to bring in Christian Wood. And you bring in JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee is not even the best center on his team. He's, he, he's, I don't even know. We have to ask the Denver Nuggets as for our producer. Is he even like the eighth man on the Denver Nuggets? I don't yeah, even know. What, what, what were JaVale's impact this year, Jory? Come in here. I don't care. Jory's saying he didn't even get minutes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my I, God. I hate this team. I hate this team. I hope they lose, and I hope that in 2024 when we get to see, like, Zion, RJ, Trey, or no, RJ plays for Canada. Oh, my God. Dang. At least we have that, that Canada yeah. didn't even make it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I can't. I hate this team USA. They're terrible. They're not going to do anything. And of course, guys like Bradley Beal getting pulled is, it's not pretty. I, ugh, this team is terrible. Anyways. Rui. Look at Rui, man. Rui, man. Go Japan, baby. Go Japan. That's my team now. Yeah. And anyways, more COVID troubles in the Olympics. Uh, of course, Bradley Beal uh, was removed from the squad uh, before he even got over to Tokyo, but two athletes in Tokyo's Olympic Village have already been removed after testing positive for COVID-19. So what are your thoughts and concerns involving the impact of the pandemic on these Olympics, in the Olympic Village, and throughout the events? Well, a lot of the people in Japan don't even want to have those Olympics there. I mean, they, they've been protesting this entire year of not wanting to have these Olympics. I, I believe there was a poll that was taken that like 80% of the people said they did not want these Olympics to happen. But here we are. We're still going to have these games, no fans. And it, it, just, it just seems like, yes, we are so happy that the world can come together, but it doesn't feel like they should right now. But they're still going to have these games, even though it was postponed a year. And it's just going to be a very interesting situation. I'm wondering how the opening ceremony is going to look on Friday. I haven't heard anything about that. Like, are, are all the countries going to come in and meet with each other and be in one place at the same time? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, 
I, if this, if anything would be a super spreader event, it would be the Olympics, but thankfully, like, no one's going to be there. They made the smart decision to not have spectators, um, but I think, like you said, this is another example of just trying to get back to normal when we may not be ready, especially at such a huge event like this. Um, I think it's definitely tough because you're putting athletes at risk, you know, for their health, you know, they're trying to make it as safe as possible. Um, but it's important to ask if that is even it's attainable uh, with such a large event like this. But like you said, with the um, opening events on uh, Friday, that's going to be really interesting to see how they're going to do that um, with everyone there. But nonetheless, I'm very excited to have it back. I think it's so exciting to have um, so many different countries there. And we definitely missed it last year. So I think it's nice that they did make it up and we are still having it, despite there being a lot of COVID risks. Now, hopefully a lot of these COVID risks are able to be subsided and handled properly. So what events are you excited for in Tokyo and what specific athletes are you going to be keeping an eye on during these Olympics? I'm super excited to see what's able to go down across the board. I love watching the Olympics. It's always a fantastic time. So what are you looking forward to watching here in Tokyo? I'm really excited for all these new sports, skateboarding and surfing in particular. I mean, I think everyone's been waiting for that moment. We've all grown up turning on ESPN, watching the X Games, and now being recognized as an Olympic sport, it's going to be so much fun. I said skateboarding as well, just because when you think of skateboarding, well, when you think of the Olympics, you think of this like prestigious, you know, like games with, you know, all these insane athletes but when I think of skateboarding I just think of like Tony Hawk like and obviously Tony Hawk's not going to be there and they're not going to be in their streetwear but I think it's just so funny that it's going to be in the Olympics because it is a very difficult skill to have I can't I can't even stand on a skateboard so it definitely is worthy of being in the Olympics um, but as far as athletes that I'm keeping an eye on, I'm definitely looking at the women's track and field players, um, specifically the women running the four by hundred relay. I think that with all that's happened with, you know, Shikari Richardson, that situation, I think, uh, all of America is really keeping an extra close eye on, you know, her teammates who will be moving forward to try to win the gold. So I just think it would be a really, um, awesome thing to happen to see them. So I'm really looking forward to watching them, them race. A ton of exciting Olympic events to look forward to and a ton of awesome other events happening in sports that we've talked about throughout the rest of this episode. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's edition of X's and Opinions. I'm Ben Harris for my co-analyst Christian Gardner and Maddie Fruchter. This has been a fantastic episode. It's been great talking to y'all about all this stuff and I had a great time. I hope y'all did too. And y'all will hear from us next week here on the WSOU Podcast Network. Let's do it.